Hello and welcome back to Future of Film Podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz and this, as regular listeners know, is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. And today I'm delighted to welcome back to Future of Film, Hazraf Haz Dalal. Haz is a filmmaker working at the intersection of film and games. In particular, he is pioneering storytelling within Unreal Engine, creating stories that cross media like Rift, real-time feature-length animation, which is also a video game. His latest project is pushing the boundaries again. It's called Moontopia. It's the first independent title to be made using Unreal Editor for Fortnite, the new innovation by Epic Games that allows, well, basically anyone to create and monetize games within Fortnite. In this conversation, which was recorded as part of Future Film Incubator 2023, we discuss why and how Unreal Editor for Fortnite is potentially a game changer for creators, has his thoughts on AI, his business strategy and how he approaches his, his projects, and news on Haz's role in the game adaptation of Denny Villeneuve's June. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening and please enjoy this conversation recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2023 with Haz. So Haz, welcome back to Future of Film. Hey Alex, thanks man. Super excited to be back here. It's amazing to have, amazing to see you and uh, I am so looking forward to it as always. I know tomorrow is a big day oh God, uh, so this is, yes. this is time stamping the conversation but tell me tell me what's what's happening and um and what you've been working on so tomorrow we launch our fortnite game which is created in unreal fortnite uefn um, uefn came out um, it was announced at game developers conference in march um, which has been a massive game changer for anyone that is creating content in unreal game developers and that can actually now make original content inside of Fortnite. Because traditionally, Fortnite was always open for um, creators to use existing Fortnite assets, which is why all the Fortnite islands always look the same, although they're super fun. Whereas now, you know, if you're a filmmaker, a game de- designer that got want to create unique experiences in your own brand, you can bring that into um, UEFN. But the even cooler thing is you can monetize now. So if you're a if you're an independent developer, a company. You're providing your company records are good, your taxes are good and stuff, because Epic validates that, rightly so. Um, you could monetize. So more people play your island, the more money you'll make. And it's a great economy for independent filmmakers or developers. So it's um it's exciting and we're launching it tomorrow. It's called Moontopia. Um, we'll send the island code afterwards. Um, but it launches tomorrow and yeah, nervous and excited at the same time. It's yeah, it's so interesting, Alex, because I was playtesting it last night and I'm playing it on a PlayStation 5. You know, I've been in the industry for a long time, but I still get that butterfly feeling. It's like, oh my God, like my content is like on a PlayStation 5 for the world to play tomorrow, as well as Xbox, Nintendo Switch. So that already that whole democratization of like reducing the barrier for anyone to create content for the world to play on all their consoles, it's happening by UEFN. So yeah. That's insane. So you've 
you've created an island. Is that effectively? Yeah, it's, I hate the word island because island you just think it's like a tiny little thing. We created mm. we created an entire world. So basically, Moontopia was originally a TV animated TV show we were developing. As with most production companies, we have a slate of productions. Um, most production companies create pitch decks, sizzles, trailers, and stuff. We end up creating original test sequences entirely inside Unreal. It was one of our first Unreal Engine 5 projects we did last year, but um, we didn't release it because it's kind of like, you know, internal. So we paused it because obviously we were finishing our animated film Rift and we were like working on the Xbox game and so on other projects. So we we paused it. And then when UEFN was announced, and I remember being at Game Developers Conference, sitting there, seeing this thing, I'm like, Oh my God, we've got to do something. And I'm calling up my team, my very small team. And I'm like, you're know, speaking, I'm like, Andrea, Sam, like Ryan, Ernesto, guys, we got to do something here. We offend. And like, okay, we've got to create original content. But as we all know, creating original IP from the ground up takes a lot of time. And we're like, well, why don't we just look at the Moontopia that we developed last year, which is gathering dust? We have all the Unreal Engine 5 assets. Let's transmedia this and move it into UEFN and create a, a Fortnite experience using all the assets and story and all the development we've, we've put in. And that's what we end up doing. And it's been super fun. Wow. So that's, that's fascinating in itself that you <laughs> developed it for one format, but it was the fact that you'd created the assets and right. built them in, in, in UE that was yeah. meant Great you entire to world. bring it across. Yeah, I mean, the whole, yeah. for those who don't know about Mutopia, it's it's a project where it's um, the entire thing sets place, takes place on the moon, uh, orbiting alien movements approaching Earth. Um, think gravity meets a quiet place set on the moon. That's essentially the pitch in Fortnite. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. And, and then if I'm, as a Fortnite user, how do I interact with it? Really how do I get super, hold of super it? easy. So you just go to, you load up Fortnite as you do, and you just go to the island code section. So you go to like play and then creator and you just type in the island code and you'll see a ton of, so for those of you just follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, you'll see, I'm going to post the island code, a trailer and everything comes out tomorrow. And you just type in the island code. And you know, maybe in a few weeks time, Epic does like Epic Pick. So fingers crossed it goes on the Epic Pick, comes up on the front page. But you literally, you just load it and play it. You just play it for free. It's a free to play. And as a company who's already developing games for the Xbox as our premium um, game production called Max Beyond that we're developing for a while, to go into the free to play market is a whole different business model because you know, you're making a game where there's no external financing. You are financing this entire thing yourself. So even though it's, you know, it took us three and a half, three and a half months to four months of a team of like five, you know, five people, that's resources that equals ka-ching, that's money, right? Coming out of the company. So it's an investment. So how do you get millions of people to play your game? A lot of it is good PR, good marketing, working very closely with marketing agency at the moment. So you've got to factor all of this if you want people to play your game and it's free to play. And then at the end of the few months, you see the amount of people played it and the playtime. And I want to understand Epic are very, very generous to the creators. They give like, I think it's like 80, 20, so 80% to you and 20% to epic um it's it's super generous one of the reasons why everyone's like oh my god but you know it it's challenging because there are over 500 million user base on Fortnite, which again from a producer's point you're like that's a huge audience base but at the same time there's a lot of competition out there so for us we had to make um a game in Fortnite that that not only was fantastic for single player it had to also be multiplayer so you can play our game up to six players 
and it, it's so much fun. But at the same time, it's got to be very easy for anyone to pick up because the user base is usually like, you know, 12 year olds plus to like 25 year olds and then maybe 30 year olds afterwards. So it's find that balancing of science fiction storytelling with super fun, engaging gameplay, gameplay that isn't like complex to learn. Yeah, there's very very specific things to 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 factor in there. But I mean, the audience side of things really interests me. So, yeah, you kind of want to. You, you can imagine that at some point, you know, Fortnite would, would will sell advertising space in the in their regular game or something to take you, you know, to get yeah. to create that awareness because you need to get. Yeah, awareness to people in the game world. A hundred percent. Yeah, one of the things where I'm really interested about is creating the next Fortnite experience as maybe some way of promoting sustainability or like you know, messaging for like you know sustainable Earth because there's there's such a huge audience base and whenever someone starts doing a PSA video about you know saving our planet and recycling, I was like the ones that care about it obviously watch, but most of the kids are like I'm not bothered. You know. When I grow up, I'll deal with it. Whereas if you put it in a in in a format like Fortnite, that's amazing because they're playing this game and they're subconsciously learning about sustainability. So yeah, so I'm hoping you know other creators out there, or maybe creators here, will yeah see what I've done and be inspired to go and make their own game um, reflecting their own IP. Yeah, I made and and the process of building uh, a game in this in this uh, space is it. Is, do you need to know Unreal Engine, you know? Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, tradition, you know, before UEFN, there was just what you call Fortnite creator mode. So you being in, you have to be in Fortnite and you have to use existing assets and use their way of building. So you can build an island entirely in Fortnite back in the day. Whereas now you can use Unreal. Now, Unreal Engine Fortnite is a stripped down version of Unreal Engine 5 or 5.1. I've got 5.3, I just heard yesterday it came out. These guys are like on a roll. Um, So if you're an Unreal Engine user already, super easy. If you're not, that's okay, because the good thing about UEFN is it looks exactly like Unreal Engine 5.1, but it doesn't have all the other features that you would get. Like, so for example, the, the, the whole nanite particle system is much more stripped down. Fins are much more easier to find because you don't have all this other stuff. It's designed to make Fortnite games, not designed to do all this pre-rendered stuff or hardcore gaming, right? So there's that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of content already being created um, via Epic's channel. So when you load up, I mean, when you load up UEFN, you get a bunch of tutorials, a bunch of existing islands that you can just go and break apart. So essentially what we did, we looked at an existing island, we're like, oh, and we start breaking it apart. It's very, I would say it's easier to learn than any other game engine. Uh, but also now there are like amazing content creators creating tutorials that obviously my good buddy Jonathan Winbush, he's like creating content out there. There are other people out there doing content. So I think there's a, there's still a following. The thing I have to like give a bit of a warning to everyone is it is a beta software. So there are a lot of kinks in there that haven't been ironed out. The hardest thing for us was brute forcing uh, a beta software to make it work because, you know, it's free but it's still being worked on. There are new updates happening every few months. So if you're, if you're okay with that, things not working and, you know, and you're the sort of person that can work around it, then great. You know, we've got like cinematics working inside of a Fortnite game. We've got like proper cinematics, but they break sometimes. So I had to like jig the way I tell my story with just minimal shots. Um, for example, audio, you know, you can bring your own audio in, but, FYI, it could take a while to moderate. So the process of making a UFN game is download UFN, have a great idea, move your assets into UEFN from, you know, migrate it from Unreal Engine or use existing assets in UEFN. You can do that as well. 
And once you've got that set up, you have 400 megabytes to play with. That is how big your entire Unreal Engine game is. So for me, I used to work on like PS2, PS1 games. I'm like, oh my God, this is old school. You know, cram everything in a, in a, in a few memory. But for like the new, fresh out of college, oh my God, 400 meg? Oh my God, I'm like, I've only got, like my video clip is like bigger than that. So you have to, it really teaches you to optimize much more. So you have to really, you know, we have a, one of our amazing developers is Ryan Fleming. And he spent a good month or so optimizing the hell out of it. And there's so many ways of optimizing, you know, using things like world partitioning, using things like reducing your textures for things in the back. A lot of old school game development practices get put into this. So once you've got your island, you want to test it. So what you do is you just upload it to what you call a private server. And the cool thing is you don't have to know anything about networking or anything. It's literally a button that goes send a private server and you go into your creator portal. So you create an account on the Epic creator portal with your Epic ID. You go in and it says private. You just copy and paste that code on your PlayStation, whatever. Only the people in your UEFN team. So here's another thing. When you create uh, an account, you can create a team. So I have myself, Andrea, you know, Ernesto, Ryan, Sam, they're all on my team. So that code I send out can only be accessed to myself and my team. If I send it to you, it will come up does not exist, right? So it's very secure that way. Play test it, get it working. Once you're happy with it, you then send it to publish officially. And when you send it to publish, that's a process where Epic reviews your your game or your map or your island. And if if there's music that hasn't been cleared, if there's JPEGs that hasn't been cleared, if there's um, if it's gone past the memory threshold, which by the way, you have to run what you call a validation check. Again, super easy. You just run it and it'll tell you if it, if it will pass or not before you can submit it for a private. So once it passed the memory thing, and that's a very important thing. You got to remember the reason we have these checks is because um, Epic wants every game, every player to have the same um, bandwidth. No one's stealing each other's bandwidth because someone's game is bigger than the other, right? You know, no one's making Cyberpunk or Call of Duty. You know, there's like 60 gig games. So everything is 400 meg, which is very good. Um, but once you've done that, once you publish it and you know, it gets approval, you just release it and that's it done and then you just told the world about it it's that simple and you own the ip yep moontopia you own the ip now here's the thing there's a few things you have to remember you can create whatever you want in uefn the worlds the the props the the animation whatever the thing that you cannot change is the player character the player character has to be a Fortnite character now there's people on instagram and stuff which is very fun by the way like hacking it yeah, you could try and hack it, but good luck trying to get that past validation because it won't get released. So you have to, and there's a reason why, because obviously the whole Fortnite economy for Epic is, you know, they make money and obviously the whole economy is based on skins, right? So you can't really change that. And it's very specific. If you start changing player character, there's a whole load of, a plethora of errors that will come up. So that's the only thing that you don't own is that um, playable character. Everything else, if it's your own creation that you created in Unreal and you bought it in, yeah, it's yours. I mean, Topia is our IP. It's registered as a TV show. So, yeah. Amazing. And then, yeah, I and mean, obviously you can look to do other stuff of it later once, you know. And what about, I suppose, another interesting question, which I don't know if you know the answer to, is the user data, as in, uh, do you can you get any data on 
who's playing? Can you email them, Has? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a whole privacy thing. I remember when we signed up, like, you know, the user data privacy thing, which is very important. Um, we don't know yet because the reason we don't know yet is because we haven't officially published the island, right? The game. So once you publish it, I think you're in your creator account, you'll get given access to stats. I'm speaking to Epic Lamar about seeing what exactly are the stats because it's very important to know that in order to decide from a business strategic point of view whether we should do another UEFN game or or what's going wrong. Um, the thing that we've been told is to create a Discord group specifically for the game, just like with any early access game, so you get feedback. But in terms of the data, we're not sure yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, I, we've just had a, a, a question in the chat, which I'll, it seems like a good time to ask it yeah, because it's, it. we're on this subject. Um, given all the challenges and time and cost, how viable are Fortnite games in terms of ROI? Well, I guess you're going to find out, I suppose, but that's tomorrow. But... DM me in a month's time and I'll tell you if it's worth it. This is why it's <laughs> in order to get, look, this is free to play. So, any free-to-play game, whether it's like, you know, um, League of Legends or whatever, they've all got a business model behind it. And the business model is to get as much user acquisition. That's the whole idea of free-to-play is user acquisition, right? So the more users, the more playtime, the more money you're most likely going to make. But how do you do that? You can't just put your game out and fingers crossed it's it's going to happen. You can make the most amazing game. If no one knows about it, it's pointless. This is where PR marketing comes in very useful. So you got to have a good PR strategy. I mean, look, last night I spent all night just creating different social media um, videos and vertical videos for TikTok and so on. You've got to have a good strategy in place. You've got to invest. The investment isn't just in making the game. The investment is also in marketing PR. We both know that, Alex. When you make a movie, you've got to have a good you know, he's spending, right? Otherwise, no one's going to know your movie. It's the same thing when you're doing free-to-play. you got to have a good um, print and advertising or or good social media strategy. And that is just to get as many people out to play this as possible. You're listening to Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Future of Film, head over to futureoffilm.live. If you're not already, you can already sign up to our newsletter there, which contains not only the latest opportunities and news from Future of Film, but also our pick of the latest articles and opportunities from across the industry. So that's all available now at Future of Film. Dot live and now back to the show taking a step back as what's um i think about you know you're a, you're a storyteller you're working across all of these different platforms what when when you're approaching a new project what is it that sort of you know draws you to a, a, a new project what is it that okay. i guess drives you as a creator you know, it's, we we had this meeting, we had this question all the time within the team. You know, our team's like seven or eight of us at the moment. You know, we ramp up to 12, 15 when we, you know, when we're in deep in, you know, big productions and so on. Um, the, the thing that drives is the question, why? Why should we make this project? And if we don't have the answer for it, then we don't make it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I know it's brutal, but it's like, you know, why, why are we excited about this project? You know, for me, like, you know, the UEFN one was, oh my God, I get to like create... <laughs> the gravity meets a quiet place scenario in a Fortnite game and the world gets to see it. And, and we have full autonomy on how we do this. You know, that, that drove it massively. There was a great story behind it and there's a great experience. You know, why would we make the movie Rift? You know, what we just finished, you know, which we spoke about last year on the podcast, if I was like this time last year, you know, the thing about that, we're making, you know, 
I'm making a version of Akira in Unreal Engine, you know? So that, that excites me, excites my team. Um, so that's the reason. But also when you run a company, you know, the question you ask yourself is, how do I keep doing this for a living? You know, how do I keep making content? Content that I love and, and my team enjoys, you know, have a passion about and get paid for it and get bigger budgets. And yeah, and a lot of that is strategic as well. You know, yes, we're making a UEFN game, Moontopia. That's not just, we're not just making it because like, oh, we should make it because it's cool. There's a strategy behind it. You know, if so many people like the game, then we can green light the animated series or use that data, right? If we want to. Um, but a lot of it is you have to wear both hats. If you want to run a production company, um, and you want to keep creating content and keep getting paid to do that. So you don't have to keep doing like service work and so on. Then you got to pick those projects. And how do you pick those projects? You, it's very hard. You, know, you don't have a crystal ball. No. Oh yeah. In two years time, which is usually like how long it takes to get a project off going in two years time, this is going to be the right project. You don't know. You really don't know. So you've got to keep your eye on the ball and the ball being read the trade, pre the trade press, look at the stats, look at what films are doing really well. Our next, I mean, I can say now, our next animated movie goes into production next month. We've just, yeah, we start next month and it's been financed by Tencent and Funcom. And oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a big difference. To <laughs> oh, like, wow. I know. <laughs> yeah, drop that one in. Why don't I? Um, and the reason for that is because that project's been in development for two and a half years. For those of you who have been following me, you'll know I did the sizzle trailer called Mutant Year Zero back in 2020, which Epic had on their spotlight. That's the project that got greenlit a few months ago. Why did it get greenlit now, not two and a half years ago? Well, think about it. One of the biggest, highest gross movie, like box selling, um, box office selling movies so far has been Mario Brothers, which is based on video game. Then you have Sonic the Hedgehog. Let's not forget Last of Us, right? But in terms of animated shows, Sonic, well, hybrid, um, Mario Brothers is doing extremely well. So of course they see a project in development. It's pretty close. Yes, greenlit right away. So my point is a lot of it is timing. A lot, you know, every one of us here have great ideas, great stories to tell. No doubt they're fantastic stories to tell. It's all about the right time of when to get that green light. And you got to think from financier's point of view as well. They need to know, like, is there going to be an ROI in this amazing idea? You know, I remember reading about or listening to the director who did the, the imitation game, you know, about the code breaking. That was being in 10 plus years in development trying to get it sold. And they couldn't until eventually they found the right time. And it was an amazing film. It did so well. So um, even Gran Turismo, like, you know, that's coming out, um, I think it's coming out this week or next week by Sony PlayStation Productions. Um, I remember speaking to the executives on that and they're like, how's that? That took like 10 years to get off the ground. I'm like, really? it's a great project. They just couldn't find the right hook. And now obviously the hook, now you can see in the trailer, it's based on real life. So that's the fight. And these things take time. Things take time, Alex, which is why you need to have multiple projects on the go. Can't just have that one project and hope for the best. And of course, everyone wants to have that one project. Like remember last year when I spoke to you, Rift was not even a project we were even contemplating about making. It was a live action script that I had developed that, that was ridiculous, like in terms of like physics defined action sequences, unshootable. And when the pandemic hit, we're like, oh, we're going to go into animation. That's a script we should go make because it's unshootable. So it's timing, right? So it's the same thing with the whole Fortnite game. Like, I never thought I'd be making a Fortnite game. Oh my God. But now we're making a Fortnite game because it works with our business model. It works with what we're doing. So timing is a big thing. Understanding the market. Read Variety. Read Hollywood Reporter. You know, th these newsletters are free in your inbox. Pay attention to the stuff that, that resonates. If, you're, if you love horror, keep an eye on, like, the stuff that's happening in the horror space, like, you know, Fangoria. 
Blumhouse, all those people that are making horror, look what they're doing, things that are working real well. You know, being a creator isn't about the brushes and the pencils or the pixels or using Unreal really well. Being a creator now is about having your, you know, you know, being in touch with the pulse of the industry and seeing where things are going because you could be spending ages developing the script and all of a sudden, like you could be making a script about snakes on a plane. I know it's been done already. But then like another snakes on a plane movie comes out and it completely bombs. No one wants to talk. You're not going to go around pitching a project based on an idea that's like, or a genre that's, that's bombed. So you got to keep your eye on those before you invest so much in. Yeah, very helpful. And it's also about you sustaining, you, 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 I think, I can't remember who said it once, we've got to be in, in the ocean to catch the wave. So, <laughs> and that means staying afloat, right? You know, you need to have, you know, you need to be a, a little bit sort of uh, just more well, tactical sometimes and just take opportunities as they come so you can keep Absolutely. the fuel in the in, in the engine yes. to mix metaphors on the <laughs> fuel in the, in, the, in the boat engine. I don't know. But um, yeah, so, so that's... Um, yeah, it's really, really uh, interesting. And about, you know, you personally, I mean, well, no, so let me go back to the 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 strategy around, you know, the business. Do you have a sort of, you know, a vision for where you, you want to be? Is, is, is it, or is it just continue to keep making the kind of stories I mean, it's a bit of, I mean, obviously, you know, like my business partner, Paula Crickard, who's like, you know, who's the other half of the company and she's like more to do with production. You know, she just, her last project was Expendables 4. So she worked on that as a, as a producer on that as post. Um, so she's much more, and we always have, you've got to have company meetings, right? You're, we're running a company, yeah? So we have the meeting and it's always like, where do we want to be? You know, I've always said like when we set the company up back in, God, 2018, you know, just finishing my my first and second movie, we, we started to set company up. The vision was always to be like a bad robot or a Blumhouse. You know, I always reference the, the people that inspire me in terms of companies that inspire me. Um, and now, you know, we look at it, we're like, you know, originally the company was set up as a vehicle for me to direct and for Paul and myself to produce content. That's usually how most companies are set up. Even like, you know, um, things like Hello Sunshine, you know, the, um, I forgot what the actors, isn't it? The actress, Reese Witherspoon's company, Hello Sunshine. She set up so that she, you know, obviously she, that she can produce content that she stars in and so on. Um, but now I'm at a point where I can't direct everything. I'm going to be very specific. I'm getting older, getting wiser, you know, getting slower. So, um, so I now now we're setting up a company. We're, we're driving a company where we're nurturing filmmakers that work with us. Like one example is a guy called Mark Cheng, who's worked with us on all our projects. He worked on Rift, and he told me like I want to be a director. I'm like, well, great, you know, let's figure some out. And now our next projects, he's going to be directing that. And you know, my ultimate dream is to have. A production company where we're constantly creating content. Everything's always technology driven. We're bold. We're creating, you know, our stuff's always sci-fi, but at the same time, we're looking at horror genres at the moment. We're looking at documentaries, but it's always this technology real-time element in the forefront that's using to drive, whether it's a live action show, there's always virtual production involved, but also nurturing the next generation of content creators. That's the thing that's exciting me today. You know, like, like, like a few years ago, it'd be like, oh, I want to make the next best thing. Now I'm like, I want to help produce the next um the, the next has or the next spielberg or the next whatever did i just associate myself with spielberg what am i doing no no but my point is you get what i'm saying right i want to find yeah. the next the next best creator um and that's that's that gives me so much joy because i can say that yeah i've made movies i've done tv shows i've done a couple of video games and listen to me you know, i'm gonna 
try and guide you the right way. Um, it's easier today because the technology is so is so accessible. So like, you know, back in the day, you try to find like a writer or a director and it's a long process, dude, because you like, you're like, okay, the script is good, but have they actually written anything else? Or their short film is good, but how much did they actually do on it? And it's really hard to gauge that. Whereas today, like if someone said, hey, I've got this great animated show, I'm like, well, go do a proof of concept. And they come back, they go, here it is. I'm like, okay, great. We, we can talk. So there's much more now in terms of like a sense of agency with, you know, with the fact with the creators can actually show and show their voice. And it's like easier, like, do we connect or not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, things like Future of Film Incubator, where you can- Which is uh, amazing. Which is amazing. <laughs> I wish I had that when I was starting I'm, I'm fishing. I'm fishing. I'm fishing. But yeah, <laughs> that's, but yeah, I hope everyone's listening and, and thinking about what Haz is saying, because um, that's, you know, that's, that's exciting. You're open to those conversations and those, those you know, that, that possibility. Absolutely. Um, so I guess talking about tools and the technology to, you know, to, to, you know, proof of concepts and stuff, AI uh-huh. and, you know, generative AI. Yes. Um, and we know when we have a conversation about this, uh, it's going to be out of date tomorrow. But what's your, you know, where where do you stand on this? Where do you see it? Yeah, you know, where, no, where's, sure. it, where's it heading? I mean, look, I mean, look, there's a lot of negativity about AI at the moment from the creative point of view, right? From the creators. And yeah, I'm a lot of my friends that are in the industry are very anti-AI. Yeah, I call them like the John Connor of AI. They're going to take them down, take down Skynet. I get that. I understand that. Um, I think the problem we have at the moment with, with something like AI is, is the fact that it's so easily accessible to anyone. That's a good thing. And that's also a bad thing. The good thing is anyone can experiment like, I was on the first to get a mid-journey account. I have so much, I still do have so much fun playing about with mid-journey. And it's great for concepting. It's great for concepting. It's great to create pitch decks. I'm, oh my God, like pitch decks now, like to create something that feels unique and bespoke and go into a meeting with that pitch deck is amazing. You can even like, you know, get the potential actor that you're thinking involved in your image. It's there. Whereas back in the day, you got to go trail through Pinterest, do some shoddy compositing, cut together some sizzle trailer from other movies to give that, you know, that's what the movie could be. You know, now you can use Gen AI, which is fantastic. But then there's the commercialization side of things, which is why us creators make content so that we could commercialize it so that we keep making content, like we said earlier on this on this podcast. So, um, and this is where the problem becomes because now you get the bad side of easy accessibility, which is anyone can just pick this up and make some content and then put it on and sell it. And when I say make content, I'm not talking about content the way we make content, which is we go out and shoot something, go and write a script. We put actual educated art or talent that you picked up over the decades or years, or whatever, to do this. No, you're just typing a bunch of text prompts and that's it. And that's a problem because like I was in a Gen AI conference and I remember some people go, yeah, man, we don't need artists anymore. We don't need to buy software anymore. We just text prompt and that is the future of art. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh my God, because that's a problem. Because firstly, legally, that's not right. And second, the thing about the whole AI thing is the people that are using it and saying we can commercialize it, for, you know, we don't need artists, we don't need it. They don't really understand that the reason we have great movies today, great music or any form of art is because there are people behind it. When you watch a great movie, you're not watching it because it's really well executed. Yes, you are, of course. But the thing that you you are, you gravitate to, the thing that you go home and go, oh my God, that really moved me, was the emotional human story. And 
AI not yet can do that. But at the same time, we've now got people that are that are just text prompters calling themselves filmmakers and creators and creating content and trying to sell it. You know, I, I remember seeing on some like art station thing, which they took down immediately, people are selling a hundred images of variation of this, of this piece of art. And you look at the prompt they use, they are referencing other artists' work and because they don't understand. So we all know mid-journey, how mid-journey works, right? It, literally you type your text prompt, it goes onto the wide web, pulls every reference it can find that exists and creates an image, right? So if I type in text prompt, the style of arcane, text prompt, Angelina Jolie, whatever, it's going to pull the style of arcane or Spider-Verse, which looks great. But arcane took decades to, to, to finesse that style. Spider-Verse took years or decades to get that look. So now you're taking all these people's hard work just because you can do a few text prompts in a few seconds, you call that art. That's a problem. So that's that's where I feel the negative side. And I strongly believe that you know, that is a problem that needs to be addressed. There isn't no law at the moment. It's such a gray area. Like at the moment, you can create a piece of mid-journey content and put it on to sell it. Unless someone tells you to take it down, you can kind of get away because there's no actual law. That's going to change. Obviously, Hollywood is looking at that. But at the same time, I know a lot of writers that are striking at the moment are concerned because they're like, well, what if a studio just takes my script and then run it through chat GDP and they have the shooting script they want? How does that work for residuals? How's that? And yeah, if I'm an American, I need residuals to pay healthcare. How does that work? So there are negative impacts. Now, that's not no surprise, Alex. We knew every piece of technology will have some element of negative impact. I think we're now at a stage, all of us, that we can collectively have some kind of ethic or moral ethic. That's what makes us great people and great artists. And I think that's become very evident when you see that there's the art station saying no AI. And now when you post them at an art station, you can actually select the section that says no AI. So now all your images won't get you know, caught into that whole mid-journey prompting when they're trying to find imagery. So there's some level of protection. But on the positive side, Oh my God, it's going to save so much time. Like if you look at things like Runaways and Wonder Studio, right? Um, you could take an asset, you could film someone to get, get an actual actor talent to film it, use their performance, then replace it with a CG character. But the performance is still human. The actor's still getting paid, should get the residuals, whatever they get if this is a full show. Um, but I don't have to spend weeks trying to composite and track something. I can spend my time focused on storytelling and all the other creative stuff. So just like any piece of technology, like Unreal Engine, for example, you know, before Unreal Engine, how were we making games? It was hardcore C++ programming or, or other game engine that didn't work so well. Go back to the early 90s when the computer first came out and everyone's like, oh, we're going to be watching content. We're going to be watching video on on, on a computer, we're going to be reading our news on a computer. And I was like, don't be silly. You need a newspaper for that. You need a television set. Now we all watch Netflix, right? So, you know, it's one of those you just got to adapt it. But I think in terms of the creative world, um, AI is concerning because of people's jobs and so on. So I would say the way I would say is adapt AI to work for you. So here's a little newsflash. One of the things we're doing at the moment for, for Hazimation is we're creating our own data sets. We're, we're you know, very early at the moment. We're talking to Amazon um, Web Services about that moment. We're creating our own data sets. And the idea is we feed all of the stuff we've done on Rift, all of the stuff we've done on, on, on our projects, obviously content that we've created. Obviously, I can't take a live action footage of Katie Sackhoff, for example, in my second movie and put that in because that's not right. But all the CGI elements we create, we put it in there. So then I can use Gen AI to help speed up the process of making content using my own content in my own data set. Now that's smart and that's clever and that's forward thinking of using AI.
Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot to process, isn't it? And it's and it's moving so fast, and um, it's down to the individual, I think, I isn't so. it? How you how you sort of you navigate it? Yeah, but, even um, as a company boy, as well. Yeah. Even as a company yeah. as well, like having having an ethic. Yeah, yeah, as a company, as an individual. Yeah. One thing I would love to talk a little bit about is how, um, and I've talked about this last year a little bit, but I think it's now more apparent. I should mention it now here because I can. After all the NDAs I signed, I finally can say it. Um, but one of the projects I am currently directing and my production company Hazimation are involved in is I'm directing the cinematics for the game Dune for Legendary. That's massive. That's 400 people on there. So everyone's thinking, how the F are you directing that? Like, what? I thought you are this independent guy. Did you sell out? Absolutely not. So here's the thing. I think the best decision I've made in my entire career was this, where... I decided I'm going to keep learning. Yes, I had made two features. I did a big show for Disney. That wasn't the end for me. I wanted to keep learning new tools. Like I wasn't done with technology. You know, most, most of my director friends, amazing directors, by the way, they're like, we're not touching visual effects. I'm not going to freaking open Photoshop ever again. That's what the art is for. I'm a director. Whereas I always wanted to keep hands on. I mean, there are other directors out there that are very similar to me. I'd be like Gareth Edwards, um, the guy who did Shazam, I've got his name, David Sandberg, I think. You go on his Instagram, he's making stuff in Photoshop and stuff. I love it. So there are a bunch of, there's there's a whole group of directors like us that always like learn. And the best thing I did was learn Unreal Engine. Like this is not a plug to Epic or anything. I sat down, downloaded Unreal and started playing with it. And it literally changed my life to the point where I didn't think I'd have a career directing video game cinematics on a big IP for Legendary, such as Dune, and being in a stakeholder position to direct this stuff. And that's all because of I've kind of like adapted and changed the way my job as a director is. You know, my job as a director is I'm in sequence and unreal, blocking shots. I'm communicating in real time in the scenes and not writing emails with tons of notes, which is what traditionally you would do if you're working on a on an animated show or, or a cinematic. You know, this cinematic isn't even pre-rendered. This cinematic is real time. It's running in game. And that's as much I can tell you about it. Um, but the point is, my, the point I'm trying to say is like, you know, I get a lot of people because oh, I don't want to learn Unreal. Like, should I learn it? I mean, I'm a producer or I'm a writer or I'm a director. I don't need to touch that. I say learn it. If you're a producer, you don't need to know every single thing on how to create a blueprint. But just learn how to open a scene and move a camera around. Because if you're a producer, you want to give notes on something or you want to communicate an idea, use it as a tool to communicate. Or if you're doing virtual production work, you know, have a good understanding of that because that could change. I know a few producer friends of mine now that are that have landed gigs because they did a virtual production course or they 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 end up having some understanding of virtual production. You know, right now, the biggest unicorns in the hiring industry is good Unreal Engine artists. You know, one of my biggest tasks uh, as as a you know as someone that runs a production company is retaining my team staff retention because they're constantly being like headhunted by NPC frame stores and rightly so. Um, so how do you keep that excited? So you got to always have good projects to go, but definitely keep learning new tools. Um, and in terms of real time, no man, I think we're just scratching the surface, man. I mean, look, I just got my head around version five point two, and now there's version five point three. And there's like even better updates. And that's almost like their developments in real time. Um, and, I, and I think that's that just like that just shows you where we are with real-time tech at the moment. Like keep your, you know, don't look at it as like, oh, it's a piece of software I have to learn. Just look at it as something that could enable you. Because like I said, if I didn't learn Unreal, started playing with it, experimenting and testing, I wouldn't be making, I wouldn't have made Rift 
I wouldn't be directing a huge IP game cinematic. I wouldn't have done U- the UFN, but I wouldn't even have a company. I wouldn't be having enough financials going through the company to do this if all I did was rely on live action and big visual effect shows. So whether it's Unreal, whether it's gaming, whether it's a different medium for storytelling, my job has always been the same since day one. I tell stories, but now I'm doing it in video game cinematics. I'm doing it with hybrid live action and virtual production. I'm doing it in whatever. And I think that's the thing I'm trying to get across to any filmmaker, whether you're a writer, producer, director, or anyone, is don't look at the medium as the thing that is that's pigeonholing you. You know, you're always going to be a storyteller. And the one, if you want to continue making money and not just making money, because that sounds very much like, oh, is that's what it's about. It's more about if you want to like have those great opportunities come to you, you've got to create them. They're not going to come to you. Like, you know, the whole Dune project is only because I did Mutant Year Zero, the sizzle trailer, and which was, you know, based on the game by Funcom. And Funcom are, uh, you know, being bought by Tencent and Tencent owns Legendary. See, it's all connected, right? Just put your stuff out there. And do you, and do you feel it's Unreal is, is accessible for, I know it's free to download, but sure. it's it's uh, not everyone can immediately get their no, no, head around it. Of course not. No, absolutely. I mean, obviously I, I have I have one, um, the upper hand, because I obviously I've worked in 3D and so on. But like, no, absolutely not. The, you know, I say this to a lot of people when they ask me, how do you learn Unreal? And I say, look, firstly, what is it you want to do? So I... I've said this before on the previous podcast, but like for me, when I learned Unreal, I didn't sit down to learn Unreal. I mean, I still don't know Unreal Inside Out. I mean, look, let's face it, even the guys at Epic don't know Unreal Inside Out, but you got to make it work for you. So as a director, just as a director, not as a 3D artist, not an animator, just a director, what did I want to do in Unreal? First, I wanted to install it, right? Second thing was I wanted to know how to drag an asset, even a cube into the scene, great. How do I bring a camera? Watch a tutorial, how to bring a camera. And how do you animate a camera and how do you render it as a quick time? Right. So it's like four or five tasks, learn that over a weekend. Okay, I've done one shot. Ooh, what if I change the angle? Do a wide shot. All of a sudden I've done a collection of six shots, put it in an edit in DaVinci Resolve. I've got a sequence. Cool. How do I now bring motion capture in? You see what I'm doing? I'm stepping, I'm creating steps. Because if you try to learn an entire software, first it's very depressing, because <laughs> it really is. Second, like it's so overwhelming. There's so much to learn. It'll put you off. It will totally put you off. Third, you set yourself up for disappointment and failure very quickly if things are not working, if you're trying to like learn everything. So set these basic things. If you're a production designer, you don't need to know how to move the camera. If you're a production designer, you just want to know how do you place things um, spatially and how do I look at things around, right? If you are a, if you're an, you know, if you're a writer, right? If you're a writer and you have a forest scene, yeah, you're writing a forest scene and you're trying to get your head because it really helps. Some writers like to visualize. Download a forest scene, a forest pack from the marketplace for free or for like a couple of bucks. Learn how to download that, learn how to open it and learn how just to walk around. Because we all know writers get inspiration by going outside, walking around. What if you could just walk around this virtual set and get inspiration? Um, you're not doing anything but apart from just walking around, right? That's a great tool for a writer, you know, to have that visualized as they're writing. So Yeah. Love it. Um, well, this, is, this has been this has been uh, amazing as always. I'd like to end with a, a question. I, I sometimes throw it. I like to throw at guests. So uh, and and the answer will change. I've probably asked you this before, but I'm sure I'm sure things have you know. Well, it's always it's always changing. So, has what is the future of film? Oh wow, that question. Oh, chestnut. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the future of film is not going to be um, linear content. I think the future of film is going to be 
a combination of linear and immersive content um, controlled by our phones. That's, you know, or, or like, you know, an Apple headset or something, because it's changing all the time. It's changing all the time. But most importantly, the future of film reflects the audience we have today. The future of film 10 years ago was based on streaming. 20 years ago, the future of film was based on cinema, right? Now the future of film is based on combination of video games, immersive experiences, installation, anything, because our audiences are getting savvy. Our audiences want more. Audiences want to experience new and feel new things. And it isn't just coming from a television box set. So that's the future of film. Haz, thank you for joining Future of Film. Thank you for having me. 